0: Chapter Sixteen Part One of Leatherface A Tale of Old Flanders. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Jones, Salt Lake City, Utah. Leatherface A Tale of Old Flanders by Baroness Orksey. Chapter Sixteen The Right to Die and after the lapse of three hundred and more years the imagination projects itself into that past so full of heroic deeds so full of valour and of glory and stands still wondering before the glowing pictures which the insurrection of ghent reveals memory the stern handmaiden of unruly imagination goes back to that twenty-first day in October, 1572, and recalls the sounds and sights which from early dawn filled the beautiful city with a presage of desolation to come. The church bell's melancholy appeal, the deserted streets, the barred and shuttered houses, the crowds of women and children and old men sitting at prayer in their own halls, the peaceful folk of a prosperous city, quietly preparing for death, at four o'clock in the afternoon, the Duke of Alva rides out of the Castile with his staff and his bodyguard, which consists of three squadrons of cavalry, one bandera of Spanish infantry, halberdiers and pikemen, and five companies of harquebusiers, the bands de Ordnance the local mounted gendarmerie are on duty in the vredoch and thither the duke repairs in slow and stately majesty through silent streets in which every window is shuttered and where not one idler or gaffer stands to see him pass by a cruel ironical smile curls his thin lips beneath the drooping mustache as he notes the deserted aspect of the place terror he mutters to himself or sulkiness but they cannot eat their money or their treasures and there must be a vast deal of it behind those walls on the vredekmart he halts with his armed escort grouped around him the bains d'ordonnance lining the market-place his standard unfurled behind him his drummers in the front not a soul out upon the mart not ahead at any of the windows in the houses round it seems as if don frederick alvarez de toledo duke of alva lieutenant-governor of the netherlands and captain-general of the forces was about to read a proclamation to a city of the dead a prolonged roll of drums commands silence for his highness silence which already is absolute and then the duke in his usual loud and peremptory voice demands the immediate surrender of the prince of orange now an outlaw in the town and suddenly from every house around the huge market comes the answering cry come and take him and from every doorway from every adjoining street men come rushing along with pikes and halberds and muskets and from end to end of the town the defiant cry arises come and take him the Bands de d'ordonnance hastily summoned by the duke to keep back the rabble turn their arms against the spanish halberdiers taking up the cry of come and take him they go over in a body to the side of the insurgents at once the walloon arquebusiers are ordered to fire the rebels respond this time with their own battle-cry of orange and liberty and a death-dealing volley of musketry whereupon the malay becomes general the cavalry charges into the now serried ranks of the orangists who are forced momentarily to retreat they are pushed back across the mart as far as the cemetery of st jacob here they unfurl their standard and their musketeers hold their ground with unshakable valour firing from behind the low encircling wall with marvellous precision and quickness whilst two bodies of halbert men and spikemen pour out in numbers from inside the church and their artillerymen with five culverins and three falconets emerge out of the guildhouse of the tanners which is close by and take up a position in front of the cemetery alva's troops soon begin to lose their nerve they were wholly unprepared for attack and suddenly they feel themselves both outnumbered and hard-pressed the duke himself had been unprepared and had appeared upon the vridach with less than two thousand men whilst the other companies stationed in different portions of the city had not even been warned to hold themselves in readiness and just when the spanish cavalry upon the market square is beginning to give ground the cry of suave que put! is raised somewhere in the distance the spanish and walloon soldiery quartered in the various guildhouses the open markets or private homesteads were just as unprepared for attack as was the garrison of the castile they had been promised that as soon as the evening angelus had ceased to ring they could run wild throughout the city loot and pillage as much as they desired and that until that hour they could do no better than fill their heads with ale so as to be ready for the glorious sacking and destruction of the richest town in the netherlands therefore a goodly number of them fresh from mechlin have spent the afternoon in recalling some of the pleasurable adventures there the trophies gained the treasure the money the jewels all lying ready to their hand others have listened open-mouthed and agape longing to get to work on the rich city and its wealthy burghers and all have imbibed a great quantity of very heady ale which has fuddled their brain and made them more and more drowsy as the afternoon wears on their captains too have spent most of the day in the taverns drinking and playing hazard in anticipation of loot and thus the men are not at the moment in touch with their commanders or with their comrades and all have laid aside their arms and simultaneously with the malay in the Mart, the insurgents have made a general attack upon every guildhouse every market every tavern where soldiers are quartered and congregated with much shouting and to-do so as to give an exaggerated idea of their numbers they fall upon the unsuspecting soldiers walloons for the most part and overpower and capture them before these have fully roused themselves from their afternoon torpor their provosts and captains oft surrender without striking a blow in almost every instance so the chroniclers of the time of year, fifty and sixty men were captured by a dozen or twenty and within half an hour all the guildhouses are in the hands of the orangists and close on fifteen hundred walloons are prisoners in the cellars below whilst all the arms stowed in the open markets go to swell the stores of the brave orange men but some of the Walloons and Spaniards contrived to escape this general rounding up, and it was they who first raised the cry of suave que put. Now it is repeated and repeated again and again. It echoes from street to street. It gains in volume and in power until from end to end of the city it seems to converge toward the Vrdach Mart in one huge all-dominating wave of sound suave que and the tramp of running feet the calls and cries drown the clash of lance and pike suddenly the bowmen of the orangists scale the low cemetery wall as one man and their defence is turned into a vigorous onslaught the cavalry is forced back upon the market square they catch up the cry suave que put they are on us suave que they break their ranks a panic hath seized them their retreat becomes a rout the orangists are all over the cemetery wall now they charge with halberd and pike and force the spaniards and walloons back and back into the narrow streets which debouch upon the scheldt some are able to escape over the cattle bruges but two entire companies of spanish infantry and a whole squadron of cavalry are so messire varnewick of ears, pushed into the river where they perish to the last man at this hour all is confusion the picture which the mind conjures up of the stricken city is a blurred mass of pikes and lances of muskets and crossbows of spaniards and walloons and flemings of ragged doublets and plumed hats a medley of sounds of arrows whizzing with a long whistling sound through the air of the crash of muskets and clash of lance against lance the appeal of those who are afraid and the groans of those who are dying of falling timber and sizzling woodwork and crumbling masonry and through it all the awful cry of suave que and the sound of the tocsin weirdly calling through the fast gathering night and amidst this helter-skelter and confusion the duke of alva upon his black charger untiring grim terrible tries by commands cajoleries threats to rally those who flee but the voice which erstwhile had the power to make the stoutest heart quake had none over the poltroon he shouts and admonishes and threatens in vain they run and run cavalry infantry halbertmen and lancers the flower of the spanish force sent to subdue the netherlands they run and in the general vortex of fleeing cavalry the duke is engulfed too and he is carried along as far as the Kettle Bruges, where he tries to make a stand. His doublet and hose are covered with mud and grime. His mantle is torn. His hat has fallen off his head, and his white hair floats around his face, which is as pale as death. Cowards! he cries with fierce and maddened rage. Would you fly before such rabble? But his voice has lost its magic they do not heed him. They fly, past him and over the bridge, to the safety of Het Spanjard's Castile. Then prudence dictates the only possible course or capture might become inevitable. Cursing savagely and vowing more bitter revenge than ever before, the duke at last wheels his horse round, and he, too, hastens back to the stronghold there to work out a plan of campaign against the desperate resistance of that handful of flemish louts whom his highness and all spanish grandees and officials so heartily despise half an hour later and we see courier after courier sent flying from het Spanjard's Castile to every corner of the city the city gates thank the god of the spaniards have been well garrisoned and well supplied with culverins and balls it is from there that help must come for strange to tell those louts have actually invested the castile and have the pretension to lay a regular siege to the stronghold was there ever such a farce a couple of thousand of an undisciplined rabble they surely cannot be more Daring to pit themselves against a picked guard, courier to the Walport, where Lodrano is in command, courier to the Brayport, Serbelloni is there with two culverins of the newest pattern and two hundred musketeers, the like of whom are not known outside the Spanish army. The only pity is that the bulk of the forces inside the city are walloons, such poltroons as they have already proved themselves surrendering in their hundreds to those confounded rebels. They have been scattered like flies out of a honey pot, and the entire center of the city is in the hands of the Orangists. But anyway, the whole affair is only a question of time. For the moment the evening is closing in fast, and the position cannot therefore be improved before nightfall. But in the morning a general closing-in movement from the gates toward the center would hold the rebels as in a claw and break their resistance within an hour. In the meanwhile the morale of the troops must be restored. Attend to that, ye captains, at the city gates." courier follows courier out of the gatehouse of the castile naked men ready to crawl to swim or to dive to escape the vigilance of the orangist lines impossible no one is able to cross the open ground beyond the castle moat the houses on the further bank of the shelled are filled with oranges. Bows and muskets are leveled from every window. The culverins are down below, covered by the angles of the cross-streets. The messengers either fall, ere they reach the shield or are sent back the way they came. Attend to the morale of your men, ye captains at the city gates. The Duke of Alva, with some three or four thousand men, is inside the Castile and no orders or communication can be got from him now before morning and just like the flies when driven out of the honey fly scared to the edges of the pot so the walloon soldiers those who have escaped from the houses, go and seek refuge in the shadow of the guardhouses at the gates but the tactics of the orangists have worked upon their nerves at first there had appeared but a rabble upon the vredak but since then the numbers are swelling visibly insurgents seem to be issuing out of every doorway from under every arch in the city they rush out with muskets and crossbows with pikes and halberds and to the walloons already unnerved and fatigued their numbers appear to be endless and their arms of a wonderful precision their muskets are of the newest pattern such as are made in germany and these they use with marvellous skill discharging as many as ten shots in one quarter of an hour and none but the picked french musketeers have ever been known to do that and they are led by a man who seems to know neither fatigue nor fear here there and everywhere he appears to the walloon and spanish soldiers like a mysterious being from another world he wears no armor but just a suit of leather which envelops him from head to foot and his face is hidden by a leather mask his voice rings from end to end of the market-place one moment the next he appears inside the enclosure of the cemetery now he is at saint Ferreld and anon back at saint jacob three of alva's couriers hastily dispatched to the commandants at the various gate-houses fall to his pistol which is the only weapon he carries, and it is he who leads the last attack on the Kettlebruges which results in the flight of Alva and all his cavalry to the safe precincts of the Castile. Before the evening Angelus has ceased to ring. The whole of the center of the city is swept clear of Alva's troops, and the insurgents have completely surrounded the Castile Darkness finds the oranges bivouacking in the open markets and along the banks of the Scheld and the Ley, with their artillery still thundering against Alva's stronghold and the gatehouses of the city, like bursts of thunderclouds in a storm. The mantle of night has fallen over a vast hecatomb of dead and dying, of Walloons and Flemings and Spaniards, of brothers who have died side by side with muskets raised in fratricide one against the other, and of women and children who have died of terror and of grief. And memory conjures up the vision of the tyrant, the author of all this desolation, riding slowly through the portal of the gatehouse into the yard of Hetzbanjard's Castile, a quarter of an hour or so ere the darkness of the night will finally cover all the abomination and the crimes the murder the misery and the bloodshed which the insatiable tyranny of this one man has called down upon a peaceable and liberty-loving people he rides with head erect although fatigue and care are writ plainly on his ashen cheeks and the wearied stoop of his shoulders his horse has received a wound in the flank from which the blood oozes and stains its rider's boots here in the castle yard some semblance of order has been brought about through the activity of the captains the horses have been stabled in the vaulted cellars the men have found quarters in different parts of the castile the musketeers and arquebusiers are up on the walls the artillery well screened behind the parapets the night has called a halt to men even in the mists of barren victories and of unlooked-for defeat and their sorrow and their hurts their last sigh of agony or cry of triumph have all been equally silenced in her embrace but over the city the sky is lurid and glowing crimson through a veil of smoke The artillery and musketry have ceased their thundering, but still from out the gloom there come weird and hideous noises of hoarse shouts and cries of mercy and of help, and from time to time the sudden crash of crumbling masonry or of charred beams falling in. But Alva pays no heed to what goes on around him. He swings himself wearily out of the saddle and gives a few brief orders to the captains who press close beside his stirrup anxious for a word or a look of encouragement or of praise then he curtly asks for water don sancho de avila captain of the castle guard hands him the leather bottle and he drinks greedily we are in a tight corner monseigneur whispers de avila under his breath hold thy tongue fool is alva's rough retort whereupon the captain stands aside more convinced than before that disaster is in the air the duke had been the last to turn his back on the cattle bruges and to retire into the stronghold of the castile the banks of the scheld by now are lined with the ranks of the insurgents and it was a musket-shot fired from the house that wounded his horse close to the saddle-bow his quivering lips and the ashen hue of his face testify to his consciousness of danger but his brow clears perceptibly when he sees juan de vargas coming out to meet him where is thy daughter he asks as soon as the other is within earshot in chapel i imagine replies de vargas no woman should be abroad this night says alva dryly send for her and order her to remain within her apartments she has been tending the wounded and will wish to do so again well let her keep to the castle yard then you are not anxious monseigneur no not anxious replies alva with a fierce oath we can subdue these rebels of course but i would i had brought spanish soldiers with me rather than these walloon louts they let themselves be massacred like sheep or else run like poltroons vitelli declares he has lost over a thousand men and at least a thousand more are prisoners in the various guildhouses probably more we ought never to have lost ground as we did he adds sullenly but who would have thought that these louts meant to fight who indeed retorts de vargas with a sneer and yet here we are besieged in our own citadel and by a handful of undisciplined peasants nay their triumph will be short-lived exclaims Alva savagely. We have over two thousand men inside the Castile, and surely they cannot be more than three thousand, all told, unless—he broke off abruptly, then continued more calmly. Darkness closed in on us ere reprisals could commence. If I had more Spaniards with me, I would try a sortie in the night and catch these oafs in their sleep but these walloons are such damnable fools and such abominable cowards but we'll fight our way through in the morning never fear in the meanwhile cannot we send to dendermonde for reinforcements the garrison there is all spanish and how can we send alva breaks in savagely the way is barred by the artillery of those bandits save upon the north and northeast where that awful morass, nearly half a league in length and width, is quite impassable in autumn. No, we cannot get reinforcements unless we fight our way through first, unless one of the commandants at the gates has realized the gravity of the situation. Ladrano at the wall port has intelligence, he continues more calmly, and Sir Bologna hath initiative, and by the mass if one of them doth not get us quickly out of this sorry place i will have them all hanged at dawn upon their gates the duke of alva's fierce wrath is but a result of his anxiety he holds the netherlanders in bitter contempt tis true he knows that to-morrow perhaps he can send to Dendermonde for reinforcements and can then crush that handful of rebels as he would a fly beneath his iron heel he would have his revenge he knew that but he also knew that that revenge would cost him dear he has fought those flemish louts as he calls them too often and too long not to know that when the day breaks once more he will have to encounter stubborn resistance dogged determination and incalculable losses ere he can subdue and punish these men who have nothing now to lose but their lives and those lives his own tyranny has anyhow made forfeit de vargas makes no further comment on his chief's last tirade remembering his daughter he goes to transmit to her the order formulated by the duke lenora is in the chapel and obedient to her father's commands she rises from her knees and returns silent and heavy-footed to her apartments the hours drag on like unto centuries she has even lost count of time it is forty-eight hours now since she held mark's wounded arm in her hand and discovered the awful the hideous truth since then she has not really lived she has just glided through the utter desolation of life hoping and praying that it might finish soon and put an end to her misery she had acted as she believed in accordance with god's will but she felt that her heart within her was broken that nothing ever again would bring solace to her soul that long miserable day yesterday in Dendermonde whilst she was waiting for a reply from her father had been like an eternity of torment and she had then thought that nothing on earth or in hell could be more terrible to bear and then to-day she realized that there was yet more misery to endure and more and more each day until the end of time for of a truth there would be no rest or surcease from sorrow for her even in her grave the one little crumb of comfort in her misery has been the companionship of greta the child was silent and self-contained and had obviously suffered much in her young life and therefore understood the sorrows of others knew how to sympathize when to offer words of comfort and when to be silent though inez was a pattern of devotion her chattering soon grated on lenora's nerves and anon when don juan de vargas agreed to allow his daughter to come with him to ghent lenora arranged that greta be made to accompany her and that inez be sent straight on to brussels the girl with the blind submission peculiar to the ignorant and the downtrodden had consented she had already learned to love the beautiful and noble lady whose pale face bore such terrible lines of sorrow and her sister katrine and her aunt both believed that the child would be quite safe under the immediate protection of don juan de vargas inez was sent off to brussels and lenora and greta are now the only two women inside the castile together they flit like sweet pale ghosts amongst the litters of straw whereon men lay groaning wounded often cursing they bandage the wounds bring water to parched lips pass tender soothing hands across feverish foreheads then at times lenora takes greta's rough little hand in hers and together the women wander out upon the ramparts. The sentries and the guard know them, and they are not challenged, and they go slowly along the edge of the walls, close to the parapets, and look down upon the waters of the moat. Here the dead lie in their hundreds, cradled upon the turgid waters, washed hither through the narrow canals by the more turbulent shelled, their pale still faces turned upwards to the grey evening light and lenora wonders if anon she will perceive a pair of grey eyes that were wont to be so merry turning sightless orbs to the dull bleak sky she scans each pale face with eyes seared and tearless and not finding him whom she seeks she goes back with greta to her work of mercy among the wounded only to return again and seek again with her heart torn between the desire to know whether the one man whom she hates with a bitter passion that fills her entire soul hath indeed paid the blood-toll for the dastardly murder of ramon or whether god will punish her for that irresistible longing which possesses her to hold that same cowardly enemy wounded or dying assassin though he be for one unforgettable moment in her arms but it is not desolation that reigns in the refectory of the convent of st Agnaton, for here the leaders of the rebellion have assembled as soon as the guns have ceased to roar. The numbers of their followers since last night have increased by hundreds, and still the recruits come pouring in. Those men who but four days ago had received the Prince of oranges, overtures with vague promises and obvious indifference, rushed to arms after the first musket-shot had been fired. Ever since the attack in the Vredekmart men have loudly clamoured for halberts or pikes or muskets and the captains at the various secret depots as well as the guild of armourers had much ado to satisfy all those who longed to shed their blood with glory rather than be massacred like insentient sentient cattle they are men who have fought at gravelines and saint-quentin and have not forgotten how to shoulder musket or crossbow or how to handle a culverin since then fifteen years of oppression of browbeating of terrorizing fifteen years under the yoke of the inquisition and of spanish tyranny have worn down the edge of their enthusiasm when orange begged for money and men that he might continue the fight for liberty the goodly burghers of ghent forgot their glorious traditions and preferred to bend their neck to the yoke rather than risk the fate of mons and of mechlin but now that danger is within their doors now that they and their wives and daughters are at the mercy of the same brutal soldiery whom alva and de vargas take pleasure in driving to bestial excesses and inhuman cruelties now that they realize that the fate of mechlin is already inevitably theirs their dormant courage rises once more to its most sublime altitude die they must that they know how can they within the enclosure of their own city walls stand up against the armies of spain which can at any moment be brought up in their thousands to reinforce the tyrant's troops but at least they will die with muskets or pikes in their hands and their wives and daughters will be spared the supreme outrage which they count worse than death thus close on five thousand volunteers file past their leaders this night in the refectory of saint agneton and tender their oath of allegiance to fight to the last man for orange and liberty on the faces of those leaders of monsieur van beveren of Leven van danes of Lawrence van rycke and jan van migrode there is plainly writ the determination to keep up the fight to the end and the knowledge that the end can only be death for them all but in mark van rycke's deep-set eyes there is something more than mere determination there is a latent belief that god will intervene there is a curious exultation in their merry depths a kind of triumphant hope and those who stand before him and swear that they will fight for Orange and Liberty with the last drop of their blood, look him straight in the face for a moment, and then turn away, feeling less grim and more courageous, with a courage not altogether born of despair. The angel of Liberty has unsheathed his sword and infused his holy breath into these men, easy-going burghers for the most part, untrained soldiers or even undisciplined rabble who have dared to defy the might of alva and when the first streak of dawn folds the night in its embrace and lifts from off the stricken city the veil of oblivion and of sleep we see some five thousand orangists prepared to stand up before alva's forces which still number close on eight The streets are littered with dead, with pikes and lances hastily cast aside, with muskets and plumed bonnets, with broken rubbish and wheelless wagons, and scraps of cloth or shoes or leather belts, and in the cemetery of St. Jacob the flag of liberty still flaunts its blazing orange in the pale morning light, and around it men still rally defiant and unconquered. The guild house of the tanners close by is in flames, and the tower of St. Jacob a crumbling ruin. The hostel of St. Juan Tandulín is a charred mass of debris, and the houses that front on the Vedric Mart a fast crumbling heap of masonry and glass. The situation of the insurgents is more desperate than even Alva knows. Of their three captains, Pierre van Overbeck is dead, Jan van Migrode severely wounded, and Laurence van Reich exhausted. Of their company of halberdiers all the provosts except two have fallen. The investing lines around the Castile have five officers killed, and twenty of their artillerymen have fallen, six hundred of their wounded encumber the vidrick the narrow streets which debouch upon the gates are deserted save by the dead but as soon as the rising day hath touched the ruined tower of st jacob with its pale silvery light mark van rycke their commander intrepid and undaunted wakes the sleeping echoes with his cry burghers of ghent to arms we are not vanquished yet a volley of arrows from the crossbowmen upon the wall-port answers the defiant cry. One arrow pierces a loose corner of Mark's doublet. "'Van Rycke cries the provost, who stands nearest to him, "'spare thyself in the name of God. What shall we do if you fall?' And Mark, unmoved, the fire of enthusiasm unquenched in his eyes, cries loudly in response, do What alone can burghers of Ghent do, in face of what lies before them, if they give in? Do! Why die like heroes to the last man? His doublet hangs from him in rags, his hose is torn, his head bare, his face black with powder. He grasps musket or crossbow, halberd, lance or pike, whatever is readiest to his hand whichever company hath need of a leader a beam from the burning building has fallen within a yard of him and singed his hair heroes of ghent he cries which of you will think of giving in the morning angelus begins to ring for a few minutes while the pure clear tones of the church bells reverberate above the din of waking men and clash of arms spaniards and walloons and flemings pause in their hate and their fight in order to pray up in the council chamber of the castile alva and de vargas and del rio on their knees mock the very god whom they invoke and when the last amen has left their lips alva struggles to his feet and murmurs fiercely and now for revenge through the wide open windows he gazes upon the spires and roofs of the beautiful city which he hath sworn to destroy already many of these are crumbling ruins and from far away near the church of saint jacob a column of black smoke rises upwards to the sky the windows give upon an iron balcony which runs along the entire width of the meeste Torin. from this balcony an open staircase leads down into the castle yard the yard and vaulted cellars opposite are filled with horses and the corridors of the palace swarm with men and as the duke anon steps out upon the balcony he sees before him the five breaches in the castle walls which testify to the power of the insurgent's culverins. he hears the groans of the wounded who lie all round the walls upon the litters of straw he sees the faces of innumerable dead floating wide-eyed upon the waters of the moat and the carcasses of horses in the yard which add to the horror of the scene by their pathetic hideousness and seeing all this he hath not a thought of pity for all the innocent whom he vows to punish along with the guilty now for revenge he reiterates fiercely and shakes a clenched fist toward the tower of saint jacob and if only i had my spaniards with me we would have burned the town down before now end of chapter sixteen part one